a look at 80s music from Orange County, California. Music that came from here and music that came to here. Join me, your host, Doug Crandall, every Thursday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Welcome to another evening of Behind the Orange Curtain. Behind the Orange Curtain explores music that came from here, Orange County, California, to influence the rest of the world, and music that made it here from around the world to influence those of us who lived here in Orange County, California in the 1980s. Tonight, we'll be looking at influential women of punk and new wave that revolutionized the way women are seen, heard, and represented in the music industry. Women have made significant contributions to punk rock music and its subculture since its inception in the 1970s. In contrast to the rock music and heavy metal scenes of the 1970s, which were dominated by men, the anarchic counterculture mindset of the punk scene in the mid and late 1970s encouraged women to participate. This participation played a role in the historical development of punk music, especially in the US and the UK at that time and continues to influence and enable future generations of women. Women have participated in the punk scene as lead singers, instrumentalists, as all-female bands, zine contributors, and fashion designers. Rock historian Helen Reddington wrote that the popular image of young punk women musicians is focused on the fashion aspects of the scene. Fishnet stockings, spiky hair, etc. was stereotypical. She states that many if not all the women punks, were more interested in the ideology and socio-political implications rather than the fashion. Music historian Caroline Kuhn contends that before punk, women and rock were virtually invisible. Johnny Rotten wrote that during the Pistols era, women were out there playing with the men, taking us on in equal terms. It wasn't combative, but compatible. Chrissy Hind echoed similar statements when discussing her start in the punk scene. That was the beauty of the punk thing. Sexual discrimination didn't exist in that scene. The anti-establishment stance of punk opened the space for women who were treated like outsiders in a male-dominated industry. As always, my disclaimer for this show, this is not my interpretation of all the great women who influenced punk and new wave, a rather representation of some who helped turn the industry upside down and shake it into submission to finally be recognized for their amazing talents as artists. So let's pull back the orange curtain and talk about our first artist. Born Angela Trimble on July 1st, 1945 in Miami, Florida. At the age of three months, she was adopted by gift shop proprietors in Hawthorne, New Jersey and renamed by her parents. She learned of her adoption at four years old and in the late 1980s located her birth mother, a concert pianist, who chose not to establish a relationship with her. She states that she was a tomboy spending much of her childhood playing in the woods adjacent to her home in Hawthorne. She graduated from Centenary College in Hackettstown, New Jersey, with an Associate of Arts degree in 1965, 
Before beginning her singing career, she moved to New York City in the late 1960s and worked there as a secretary at BBC Radio's office for one year. Later, she was a waitress at Max's Kansas City, a go-go dancer in a discotheque in New Jersey, and a Playboy bunny. In the late 1960s, Deborah Ann Harry began her musical career as a backing singer for the folk rock group The Wind in the Willows, which released an album in 1968 on Capitol Records. In 1974, Debbie Harry joined the Stilettos with Elda Gentile and Amanda Jones. Shortly thereafter, the band added guitarist Chris Stein, who became her boyfriend. In her memoir, Face It, Harry describes having been raped at knife point during a burglary in the home that she shared with Stein. After leaving the Stilettos, Harry and Stein formed Angel and the Snake, and shortly thereafter, Harry and Stein formed Blondie. Named after the catcall, often directed at Harry after she bleached her hair blonde, the band quickly became regulars at Max's Kansas City and CBGB in New York City. With her beauty, daring choice of clothing, and two-toned bleach blonde hair, Harry quickly became a punk icon. In June 1979, Blondie was featured on the cover of Rolling Stone. Harry's persona, combining cool sexuality with streetwise style, became so closely associated with the group's name that many believe Blondie was the singer's name. The difference between individual Harry and the band Blondie was emphasized by a Blondie is a group button campaign by the band in 1979. Blondie released their self-titled debut album in 1976, but it would be her third album, Parallel Lines, in 1978 that would be a worldwide hit and catapult the group into international success. It included the hit single, Heart of Glass. Riding the crest of disco's domination, the track made number one in the U.S. and sold nearly two million copies. It also reached number one in the U.K. and was the second highest-selling single of 1979. The band's success continued with the release of the platinum-selling Eat to the Beat album, U.K. number one, U.S. number 17 in 79. Auto American, U.K. number three, and U.S. number seven was released in 1980. Blondie had further number one hits with Call Me from the American Gigolo soundtrack, which was U.S. and U.K. number one, Atomic, Eat to the Beat album, which was a U.K. number one, and The Tide is High, both U.S. and U.K. number one, and Rapture, a U.S. number one hit. Let's listen to that single, Call Me, from the American Gigolo soundtrack. Here it is, Debbie Harry from Blondie.
Next up, this singer-songwriter was born in Akron, Ohio, September 7, 1951. The daughter of a part-time secretary and a Yellow Pages manager, she graduated from Firestone High School in Akron, but stated, I was never too interested in school. I mean, I never went to a dance. I never went out on a date. I never really went steady. It became pretty awful for me, except, of course, I could go see bands, and that was the kick. I used to go to Cleveland just to see any band, so I was in love a lot of the time, but mostly with guys and bands that I had never met. For me, knowing that Brian Jones was out there, and later that Iggy Pop was out there, made it kind of hard for me to get too interested in the guys that were around me. I had, uh, bigger things in mind. Christine Ellen Hind is a founding member and guitarist and lead vocalist and primary songwriter of the rock band The Pretenders, as well as its only constant member. Hind became interested in hippie counterculture, Eastern mysticism, and vegetarianism while attending Kent State University's art school for three years. She joined a band called Sat Sun Matt, which included Mark Mothersbaugh, later of Devo. Hind was also caught up in the Kent State Massacre on May 4, 1970, in which the boyfriend of one of her friends was among the four victims. Hind moved to London in 1973. With her art background, she landed a job at an architectural firm, but left eight months later. It was then that she met rock journalist Nick Kent and landed a position at the music magazine, the NME. However, this proved not to last and Hind later got a job at Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood's then-little-known clothing store called Sex. At one point, she tried to convince Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols, who were managed by McLaren, to marry her, just in order to get a work permit. Hind's version of the episode has it that Rotten offered to go to the registry office with me and do the unmentionable, but when he subsequently pulled out, Vicious volunteered to take his place. Upon arrival at the registry office the following morning, they found it closed for an extended holiday and were unable to attend the following day due to Vicious making a court appearance. Hind would then return to Cleveland in 1975. She returned to London in the midst of the early punk movement. In late 1976, Hind responded to an advertisement in Melody Maker for band members and attended an audition for a band that would become 999. John Moss who would later be in Culture Club, and Tony James of Generation X also auditioned. Later, Hind tried to start a group with Mick Jones from The Clash. After the lack of success with the band, Malcolm McLaren placed her as a guitarist in Masters of the Backside, but she was asked to leave the group just as it became The Damned. After a brief spell in the band, Johnny Moped, Mick Jones invited Hind to join his band on their initial tour of Britain. Hind recollected of that period it was great, but my heart was breaking. I wanted to be in a band so bad and to go to all the gigs, to see it so close up, to be living in it and not have a band was devastating to me. When I left, I said thanks a lot for letting me come along and I went back and went weeping in the underground throughout London. All the people I knew in town, they were all in bands and there I was like a real loser, you know, really the loser. Hind formed the Pretenders in 1978 with Peter Farndon, James Honeyman Scott, and Martin Chambers. She also has released a number of songs with other musicians, including Frank Sinatra, Cher, and UB40. 
and she released the solo album Stockholm in 2014. Hine was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2005 as a member of the Pretenders, and she also performed at Live Aid in 1985. So let's hear a song off the Pretenders' first album. This song is called Precious. woman of influence originally went by the name Christine. She is of Czech and Irish background, 
She's born in Chicago on February 1st, 1956. She grew up in a small town in downstate Illinois and in Tallahassee and St. Petersburg, Florida, where she quit school on her 16th birthday. She bought her clothes in thrift shops, partly from financial necessity, but also with a distinctive retro style in mind. She had a strong creative streak that showed itself while she was still in Florida. She wrote poetry and gave a reading of her work in 1975, before she became involved in music. The following year, she put $80 in a sack and took off for Los Angeles, moving into a one-room apartment with five other people. Soon, she got a job at the office of a literary workshop called Beyond Baroque. It was there that Christine Cervenka met bassist and singer John Doe. The two began making music together, and it wasn't long before they added guitarist Billy Zoom and drummer DJ Bonebreak to form X, at which time Cervenka changed her name to Exine. Punk was on the rise in Los Angeles. Bands such as the Germs eked out a marginal existence while drawing frenzied fans to clubs. Cervenka states that it didn't even have anything to do with the bands. It was about people being bohemian, even though they didn't even know what bohemian meant. X issued a 7-inch single, Adult Books, in 1978, and began to attract crowds. The following year, Cervenka acquired her first tattoos, putting her well out ahead of a coming fashion trend. In 1980, the year Cervenka married John Doe, the band issued its debut album, Los Angeles, on the Slash record label. It was produced by the former Doors keyboardist, Ray Manzarek. Thanks to Cervenka, X stood out among the American punk bands. As a woman, she was a rarity in the male-dominated punk scene. And, though X could match other bands for ferocity when it was necessary, their sharp, alienated lyrics, written mostly by Cervenka, were also important. Los Angeles was hailed by rock critics and named the best album of 1980 by the Los Angeles Times. She married Doe in 1980 and divorced in 1985, then she married actor Vigo Mortensen in 1987. They had a child, Henry, and they divorced in 1998. Then she would marry Jason Edge, a musician, in 2002. Ixine now resides in Orange County, and X just released a fantastic new album called Alphabet Land. This is Soul Kitchen by Ixine Cervanka and X. <laughs>
to Robert, a chemist at Eastman Kodak, and Audrey on May 28, 1949 in Webster, New York, this influential woman studied clarinet at the Community Music School program of the University of Rochester's Eastman Kodak School of Music, and later was a clarinetist in her high school's concert band. At the age of six, she appeared tap dancing on the Howdy Doody show as a member of the Peanut Gallery. She had her first run-in with the law at age 15 when she was arrested for sunbathing nude. She attended R.L. Thomas High School in Webster at least partway through the 10th grade, but then left school before graduating. Her schoolmates and teachers recalled Williams as a shy, pretty girl, an average student who played in the junior high band, paid attention to her hair and clothes, and who spoke so softly you had to lean in towards her to hear her. At the age of 16, she left home and hitchhiked to Colorado, where she earned money by selling crocheted string bikinis. Afterwards, she headed to Florida, working as a lifeguard, and then to Europe, where she worked as a macrobiotic cook in London, and as a dancer with a gypsy dance troupe. Around that time, she was arrested on multiple occasions for shoplifting and passing counterfeit money. In 1976, she arrived in New York City, where she saw an ad in the show business magazine that lay open on the Port Authority bus terminal station floor. It was a casting call for a radical artist at Yale University, a graduate there, Rod Swenson's experimental Captain Kink's Theater. She replied to the ad and began performing in live sex shows. She later appeared in Gail Palmer's adult film Candy Goes to Hollywood in 1979. She was featured as a performer on a parody of The Gong Show, shooting ping-pong balls across the set from her vagina. In 1977, Swenson became Williams' manager and recruited her to play in a newly formed punk rock band called The Plasmatics. They made their debut in July of 1978 at the Manhattan Music Club, CBGB. The Plasmatics toured the world, although a concert in London was canceled by the promoter due to safety reasons, causing the press to dub the band as anarchists. During the shooting of an appearance on SCTV in 1981, studio heads decided they would not air Williams' performance unless she changed out of a costume that revealed her nipples. Williams refused. The show makeup artist found a compromise and painted her breasts black. In 1981, Milwaukee, Wisconsin police arrested Williams for simulating masturbation on stage and charged with battery to an officer and obscene conduct. She was cleared of all charges. Later that year in Cleveland, Ohio, Williams was acquitted of an obscenity charge for simulating sex on stage wearing only shaving cream. She subsequently covered her nipples with black electrical tape to avoid arrest. In November, an Illinois judge sentenced her to a year supervision and fined her $35 for attacking a freelance photographer who tried to take her picture as she jogged along the Chicago lakefront. In 1993, Wendy O. Williams attempted suicide by hammering a knife into her chest where it lodged into her sternum. However, she changed her mind and called Rod Swenson to take her to the hospital. She attempted suicide again in 1997 with an overdose. Williams died on April 6, 1998 with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. She was 48. Swenson, her partner for more than 20 years, returned to their home in the area where they had lived since moving to Connecticut from New York City. He found a package that was left for him containing some noodles he liked, a packet of seeds for growing garden greens, some oriental massage balm, and sealed letters from her. 
The letters were suicide letters, including a living will, denying life support, a love letter to Swenson and various lists of things to do, caused Swenson to begin searching the woods for her. After about an hour, as dusk fell, he found her body in a wooded area with a pistol lying on the ground nearby. She had apparently been feeding wild squirrels moments before her suicide, as well as putting a bag over her head before shooting herself to spare her partner the horrible sight. Here's a snippet of what she reportedly wrote in a suicide note regarding her decision. I don't believe that people should take their own lives without deep and thoughtful reflection over a considerable period of time. I do believe strongly, however, that the right to do so is one of the most fundamental rights that anyone in a free society should have. For me, much of the world makes no sense, but my feelings about what I'm doing ring loud and clear to an inner ear and a place where there is no self, only calm. Here is Headbanger by Wendy O. Williams and her band, The Plasmatics. This is for all you headbangers out there. You know who you are. Oh, 
Former Sex Pistols manager McLaren persuaded Barbosa, also known as Dave Barbie, guitarist Matthew Ashman, and bassist Lee Gorman to leave Adamant and form a new group under McLaren's management. The band embarked on a six-month audition process for a lead singer. Liverpool session musician, music director, and talent scout Dave Fischel heard a 13-year-old singing along to the radio at the laundromat where she worked and convinced McLaren to audition her. Shortly after she joined the group, McLaren added a second lead singer, George Allen O'Dowd, dubbed Lieutenant Lush, in an early version of the song Mile High Club. Annabella refers to herself as Captain Lush. His stay was short-lived, however. O'Dowd soon formed a band called the Culture Club and went on to superstardom under the name Boy George. The girl in the laundromat that we're talking about is Annabelle Lewin. She was born on October 31, 1966, in Rangoon, Burma. Her father was Burmese, and her mother was English. When she got her ears pierced, per the Buddhist tradition, a Burmese priest gave her the name Mayant Mayant Ai, which literally means cool, cool, high in Burmese. After her parents divorced, her mother would take her back to England. After she successfully auditioned for Bow Wow Wow, she was transferred from a mixed comprehensive school in London to the Sylvia Young Theatre School. Annabella Lewin's band Bow Wow Wow was dropped by EMI Records after their second single failed to chart, following which they signed with RCA Records. Their first full-length album, released October 1981, created Outrage, as a cover photo by Andy Earle, recreated a French painter's portrait, had 14-year-old Lewin posing nude. Despite allegations from her mother of exploitation of a minor for immoral purposes and involvement of the Scotland Yard, the band used the same cover for their follow-up EP, The Last of the Mohicans. The track Go Wild in the Country from the album became their first UK top 10 hit, while the single I Want Candy from the EP, a cover of the Strange Loves hit from 1965, became number nine on the UK singles chart and was played heavily on MTV. She was asked to write for their second studio album, When the Going Gets Tough, the Tough Get Going, which contained another hit song, Do You Want to Hold Me? Her time with the band also ended controversially as, following a US tour, she was suddenly fired in September 1983 which she read about in NME magazine. She relocated to Los Angeles because she felt her life as a singer in England seemed to stop, and she still performs today. Here is Annabelle Lewin with Bow Wow Wow and that song, Do You Want to Hold Me?
Forster. Born January 17, 1962, in Munich, Germany. Both her parents were involved in the music industry. Her father, Frank, was a German singer who had some success in the 1950s and 1960s, while her mother, Nora, was a friend of Jimi Hendrix and dated Chris Spedding for three years. Her grandfather was a wealthy German newspaper proprietor, Franz Karl Meyer. Her godfathers were an Austrian singer-composer and John Anderson, the singer of the group Yes. Her mother would divorce her father and later married Sex Pistols lead singer John Linden, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten, in 1979. Their home was known to be something of a punk domain where Nora would take in poor musicians. The constant presence of punk music led to Ari experimenting with it herself, learning to play the guitar from The Clash's Joe Strummer. Ariane would go by the name of Ari Up, and in 1976, at the age of 14, Ari formed The Slits with drummer Paul Molive. The Slits were a British punk and post-punk band formed in London in 1976 by members of the groups The Flowers of Romance and The Castorators. Their 1979 debut album, Cut, has been called one of the defining releases of the post-punk era. After the Slits disbanded in 1981, Ari moved with her husband and twin sons Pablo and Pedro, fathered by her boyfriend, Glenmore Jr. Williams, to jungle regions in Indonesia and Belize, and lived among the indigenous people in those areas. Later, they moved to Jamaica, eventually settling in Kingston. She continued to make music, first with the New Age Steppers, and then as a solo artist, using stage names like Baby Ari, Medusa, and Ari Up. Her son, Wilton, was born in 1994. Tragically, the boy's father had been shot dead by the time he was born. In 2000, Lyndon and Nora became legal guardians of Ari's twin boys. As Lyndon explained, she let them run free. They couldn't read, write, or form proper sentences. One day, Ari said she couldn't even cope with them anymore. I suggested that they came to us because I wasn't having them abandoned. They gave us hell, but I loved having those kids around. Let's hear a cover song of I Heard It Through the Grapevine on the Slit's first album.
Susan Janet Ballion was born May 27, 1957, in Southwark, England. She's 10 years younger than her two siblings, who were born while the family was based in the Belgian Congo. Her parents met in a colony and worked there for a few years. Her mother, Betty, was of Scottish and English descent and was a secretary who spoke both French and English. Her father was a bacteriologist who milked venom from snakes and hailed from Walloon, the French-speaking part of Belgium. In the mid-1950s, before her birth, the family moved to England. The Ballions lived in a suburban district in Kent. She was an isolated child, being unable to invite friends to her house due to her alcoholic, unemployed father. Despite his issues, she would later regard her father as an intelligent and well-read and sympathized with his inability to fit in with a rigid middle-class society. During moments of sobriety, her father shared with her his love for books. She was aware that her family was different. The Ballions were not involved in the local community, and she, aware that her family's house differed from the neighbors, would later state that the suburbs inspired intense hatred. At the age of nine, she and a friend were sexually assaulted by a stranger. The assault was ignored by both her parents and the police, and was not spoken of in the family. The incident and its later treatment would lead to her distrust of adults. Years later, she stated, I grew up having no faith in adults as responsible people, and being the youngest in my family, I was isolated. I had no one to confide in, so I invented my own world, my own reality. It was my own way of defending myself, protecting myself from the outside world. The only way I could deal with how to survive was to get some strong armor. Her father died of alcoholism-related illnesses when she was 14, resulting in a decline in her health, where she lost considerable weight and missed school. After several misdiagnoses, she was operated on for ulcerative colitis. During her weeks of recovery, she watched television in the hospital and saw David Bowie on top of the pops. At 17, she left school, and it was during this period that she began frequenting the local gay discos where her sister's friends went, later introducing her own friends to that scene. In November of 1975, the Sex Pistols performed at the local art college. In February of 1976, she and her friend Stephen Severin went to see the Sex Pistols play in London. After chatting with members of the band, she and Severin decided to follow them regularly. She changed her name to Susie Sue 
and became well-known in the London club scene for her glam, fetish and bondage-inspired attire, which later became part of the punk fashion. She would also heavily influence the later development of gothic fashion with her signature cat-eye makeup, deep red lipstick, spiky dyed black hair, and black clothing. When a support slot at the 100 Club Punk Festival organized by Malcolm McLaren opened up, they decided to make an attempt at performing. Although at that time they did not know how to play any songs, on the 20th of September of 1976, the band improvised 20 minutes of music while Susie sang the Lord's Prayer. Aware of the press surrounding both herself and the Sex Pistols, Susie began to distance herself from the scene and stop seeing the Sex Pistols shows, instead focusing her energy on her own band, Susie and the Banshees. In 1977, Susie began touring England as Susie and the Banshees. One year later, their first single, Hong Kong Garden, reached number seven on the UK chart. Their debut album, The Scream, was one of the first post-punk records released. It received five-star reviews. The Scream was later hailed by NME as one of the best debut albums of all time. The 1980 album Kaleidoscope marked the change in musical direction. The hit single Happy House was qualified as great pop with liquid guitar and other songs like Red Light were layered with electronic sounds. Kaleidoscope widened Susie's audience, reaching the top five on the UK charts. Juju followed in 1981, reaching number seven. The singles Spellbound and Arabian Nights were described as pop marvels by The Guardian. In 1982, Susie and the Banshees' album Kiss from the Dreamhouse was widely acclaimed by critics. Then, the Banshees, including Robert Smith of The Cure, covered the Beatles' Dear Prudence, which reached number three on the UK singles chart. In 1988, the single Peekaboo marked a musical departure from her previous work, anticipating hip-hop-inspired rock with the use of samples. Let's go back to an early recording. This is Spellbound by Susie and the Banshees. From the cradle bars comes a beckoning voice that's then spinning. You have no choice.
Frances Consalvi was born in Medford, Massachusetts. From the age of 16, she studied drama at Emerson College and worked as a bunny at the Playboy Club in Boston. She was named Boston Playboy Club Bunny of the Year in 1975. In 1976, she traveled to the Playboy Mansion West in Los Angeles at the request of Hugh Hefner to interview for a position as a Valentine Party hostess. The opportunity provided for both a continuing relationship with Playboy and for living arrangements in Los Angeles, from which she could pursue an acting career. She rejected Hefner's offer and thus failed to secure living arrangements. However, shortly thereafter, she chanced upon musician and composer Frank Zappa, whom she had met previously at one of his concerts in Boston. That encounter led to her employment with Zappa. She would later pose nude for Hustler, being featured in an edition published in February of 1980. During her work with Zappa, she met drummer Terry Bozio in 1976, and they would marry in 1979, and she would change her name to Dale Bozio after Terry had become a member of the band UK. In 1980, Missing Persons was a trio, and they recorded a four-song EP entitled Missing Persons in Zappa's brand new Utility Muffin Research Kitchen Studios. The band toured, promoted the EP, and appeared in the movie Lunch Wagon in 1981, and became a must-see band among the Los Angeles live music crowd. Mental Hopscotch was number one record on the radio station KROQ-FM, and the self-promoted EP sold 7,000 copies. Two years of hard work led up to the signing with Capitol Records in 1982. With label support, the re-released four-song EP, with the song Words, replacing the Doors cover, Hello, I Love You, sold another 250,000 units. The three-piece band would expand into five as they recorded a new full-length album called Spring Session M in 1982. The title, of which was an anagram of missing persons. The album included both Words and Destination Unknown from the original EP and went gold. Spring Session M spun off four singles, Destination Unknown, Words, Walking in LA, and Windows, all of which made the Billboard Hot 100. Although none charted higher than number 42, the band did experience considerable success in the local markets of Los Angeles, New York, and San Francisco. The visual effects used in the music video for Words were unusual for the time, making it popular on the fledgling cable TV channel, MTV. Missing Persons appeared at a three-day Southern California concert known as the Us Festival in 1983, along with David Bowie, The Pretenders, U2, and Stevie Nicks. After Missing Persons disbanded in 1986, Bozio was signed to Prince's Paisley Park label, which we mentioned in episode three, The Paisley Underground, where she released her first solo album, Riot in English, in 1988. Bozio subsequently reformed Missing Persons and continues to perform the band's repertoire at venues across the United States today. Let's go back to Words from Missing Persons.
Born Marianne Joan Elliott said in 1957 in Kent, England, and raised in Brixton, London, her mother, who raised her alone, was a Scottish-Irish legal secretary. Her father was a Somali-born dock worker, although she would tell the press that he was a dispossessed Somali aristocrat. As a teenager, she was a hippie. At age 15, she ran away from home with three pounds in her pocket and hitchhiked from one music festival to another, staying at hippie crash pads. Having been an itinerant traveler, alternative fashion designer and failed pop reggae singer, after seeing the Sex Pistols performance at the Pier Pavilion in Hastings on the south coast of England on July 3, 1976, which was her 19th birthday, she decided to form the punk band X-Ray Specs. Marianne would change her name to Polystyrene, a name she chose from the Yellow Pages when she was looking for a name of the time, something plastic. She was described by Billboard as the archetype of a modern-day feminist punk because she wore dental braces, stood against the typical sex object female of the 1970s rock star, sported a gaudy day-glow wardrobe, and was mixed race. She was one of the least conventional front persons in rock history, male or female. The X-Ray Specs launched their debut single in 1977. In 1978, after a gig in South Yorkshire, Styrene had a vision of a pink light in the sky and felt objects crackling when she touched them. Thinking she was hallucinating, her mother took her to the hospital where Marianne was misdiagnosed with schizophrenia and she was told that she would never work again. Although she missed playing at the time, in hindsight, she felt that getting out of the public eye was good for her. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 1991. In February of 2011, in an interview published in the Sunday Times magazine, Styrene revealed that she had been treated for breast cancer and that it had spread to her spine and lungs. She died of breast cancer on April 25th of 2011 at the age of 53. Let's hear one of her early songs from X-Ray Specs called Oh Bondage Up Yours. <laughs> Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... Oh Bondage Up Yours! One, two, three, four!
in Los Angeles, California, her father Larry was a painter and a former contract child actor for MGM. He was in the movie Men of Boys Town and The Major and the Minor. He was an alcoholic and died from suicide when she was 13 years old. In 1976, she auditioned for the role of Princess Leah in Star Wars, but the role went to Carrie Fisher. In 1977, she posed under the name Betsy Harris for nude photos for the February issue of Penthouse. For many years, she denied that the photos were her because when they were taken, she was only 16 and still legally a minor. She joined Berlin in 1978 and temporarily left the group the following year to pursue an acting career. Nunn acted in numerous television shows in the 1970s and 1980s, including T.J. Hooker, Lou Grant, and James at 15. She was offered a role of Lucy Ewing on the soap opera Dallas in 1978, which she turned down because she would have to sign a seven-year contract, and she wanted to pursue music as well, and that would have prevented her from doing so. The role went to Charlene Tilton. In 1981, she rejoined Berlin as the lead vocalist and soon forged her recording career in the band. Her greatest success in Berlin was the top-selling 1986 single Take My Breath Away, the theme song for the film Top Gun. It reached number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100. She refused to perform the song Take My Breath Away at the Academy Awards which was part of a medley for the Oscar-nominated songs that year. Nunn said she would only perform the whole song for the telecast, so the song, which won her the Oscar, went unperformed. Nunn says that she regrets her decision to this day. Berlin's popular songs include Sex, The Metro, You Don't Know, No More Words, and Masquerade. Her favorite song is The Metro. In 1985, Nunn briefly dated Michael Hutchins, whom she met at an In Excess concert in London while Berlin was recording an album, Count Three and Pray. The relationship ended when In Excess returned to Australia. In 1985, Nunn left Berlin and recorded the song Dancing in Isolation for the film Better Off Dead. Nunn has three children, a daughter and two stepsons with her husband, Paul Spear. One of the stepsons is a medic in the U.S. Army. The family has resided in Santa Rosa Valley, California since 2012. Nunn obtained the rights to the band name Berlin in 1996 and reformed the band with new members who began recording and touring. In 2003, Berlin's original lineup reunited for the VH1 series Bands Reunited. Here is Masquerade by Berlin.
Patricia May Ann Zajewski was born on January 10, 1953, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, New York City. Her mother, Mildred, was a beautician, and her father, Andrew, was a sheet metal worker. Her father was of Polish descent, and her mother was German, English, and Irish ancestry. Her family moved to North Hamilton Avenue in Lyndhurst, New York, a village in the Long Island town of Babylon. She became interested in theater and began voice lessons, singing her first solo at the age of eight at Daniel Street Elementary School, a song called It Must Be Spring. She then trained as an operatic soprano with plans to attend Juilliard School, but decided instead to pursue health education at Stony Brook University. At age 19, after one year at Stony Brook, she dropped out to marry her first husband, high school sweetheart Dennis, a U.S. Army draftee stationed in Fort Lee, Virginia, where he remained on duty for three years. She worked as a bank teller near Richmond, Virginia. In 1971, she quit her job to pursue a singing career after being inspired by Liza Minnelli and a concert that she saw in Richmond. She got a job as a singing waitress at a nightclub named the Roaring Twenties and got a spot singing in the lounge band Coxon's Army, a regular at Sam Miller's Basement Club. She later headlined in New York City's Tramps Nightclub over four days in spring of 1978 where her performances were heard by representatives from several record companies. She was signed to Chrysalis Records by co-founder Terry Ellis the following week. Patricia and Dennis divorced shortly after. Although she kept his surname, she would become known as Pat Benatar. Benatar's debut album, In the Heat of Night, was released in August of 1979 and reached number 12 in the U.S. in early 1980. She would later release a single, Hit Me With Your Best Shot, which hit the U.S. chart number nine, her first single to break the top ten, and sold more than one million copies and achieving gold status in the United States. The album peaked for five consecutive weeks at number two in the U.S., and January 1981, a month later, Benatar won her first Grammy Award for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance of 1980 for the album. Other singles released from Crimes of Passion were Treat Me Right, which reached 18, and the Rascals cover You Better Run, reaching number 42, which was the second music video ever played on MTV after the Buggles video killed the radio star. So here for you now is Heartbreaker by Pat Benatar.
on Christmas Day, 1954, in Aberdeen, Scotland, the daughter of Dorothy and Thomas. In the 1970s, she won a place at the Royal Academy of Music in London, where she studied the flute, piano, and harpsichord for three years. She lived on a student grant and worked part-time jobs for extra money. She was unhappy during her time at the Royal Academy and spent her time wondering what other direction she could take. Her flute teacher's final report stated, Anne has not always been sure of where to direct her efforts, though lately she has been more committed. She is very, very able, however. If you haven't already guessed, we're talking about Annie Lennox. In 1976, Lennox was a flute player in a band called Dragon's Playground, leaving before they appeared on TV's New Faces. Between 1977 and 1980, she was the lead singer of the band The Tourists, a British pop band and her first collaboration with Dave Stewart. Lennox and Stewart's second collaboration, the 1980 synth-pop duo Eurythmics, resulted in her most notable fame as the duo's alto, soul-tinged lead singer. Early in Eurythmics' career, Lennox was known for her androgyny, wearing suits and once impersonating Elvis Presley. Eurythmics released a long line of singles in the 1980s, including Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, a U.S. and U.K. number two. There Must Be an Angel, Playing With My Heart, a U.K. number one, Love is a Stranger, and Here Comes the Rain Again, Sisters Are Doing It for Themselves, Who's That Girl, Would I Lie to You, Missionary Man, You Have Placed a Chill in My Heart, A Thorn in My Side, The Miracle of Love, and Don't Ask Me Why. Although the Eurythmics never officially disbanded, Lennox made a fairly clear break from Stewart in 1990. Thereafter, she began her solo career. Lennox has received eight Brit Awards, including being named Best British Female Artist a record six times. Four of the awards were given during her time with the Eurythmics, and another was given to the duo for outstanding contribution to music in 1999. The 1988 single, Put a Little Love in Your Heart, was a duet with Al Green recorded for the soundtrack of the movie Scrooged. Though it was produced by Dave Stewart, it was credited to Annie Lennox and Green. This one-off single peaked at number nine on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and was a top 40 hit in the U.K. Lennox has been married three times. Her first marriage from 1984 to 85 was to German Hare Krishna devotee Radha Raman. And from 1988 to 2000, she was married to Israeli film and record producer Yuri Fruchtman. The couple have two daughters, Lola and Tali. A son, Daniel, was stillborn in 1988. On the 15th of September of 2012, Lennox married Mitch Besser in London in a private ceremony. Here is Would I Lie to You from Annie Lennox.
Los Angeles, California, on August 17, 1958, to Harold, a gas station employee, and his wife, Joanne, a homemaker. Her mother met her father, who was 20 years her senior, at the age of 18. She was born nine months later. She was the first of seven siblings. She has three brothers and three sisters. When she was five years old, her father abandoned their family, and she stated that she spent most of her childhood impoverished. As a teenager, she recalled owning like two outfits, 
according to her mother, who was very religious, while her father was not. In an interview with Slash Magazine, she described herself as a reject from the Southern Baptist household. Her mother later remarried a man named Walt, who she says was an alcoholic, and with whom she had a tumultuous relationship. The family moved frequently during her childhood from Simi Valley to Reseda before settling in Burbank when she was seven years old. At the age of 10, Carlisle began to express her interest in music and recalled the Beach Boys, Cat Stevens, the Stylistics, and the Animals as being early musical influences. The family relocated again during her adolescence, this time to Thousand Oaks, California. She attended Colina Junior High School in Thousand Oaks and later Newberry Park High School, where she was a cheerleader. During her teenage years, she became rebellious. By the time I hit 14, I had gone really wild, she said. I ran away from home, smoked pot, dropped acid, you name it, I'd try it. At age 18, she took night classes attending beauty college, but dropped out the first year. At age 19, Belinda Carlisle left her parents' home to pursue a music career. She was named after her mother's favorite film, Johnny Belinda. Belinda Joe Carlisle, her first venture into music was 1977 as the drummer for her punk rock band, The Germs, under the name Dottie Danger. However, her time in the band was cut short due to her contracting mononucleosis. She never recorded or performed live with the Germs. However, after leaving the Germs, she co-founded the Go-Go's, originally named the Misfits. All five women were largely untrained musicians, and Carlisle recalls having to use tape as fret markers during their initial songwriting. Charlotte had to show us how to plug in our amps. The Go-Go's went on to become one of the most successful American bands in the 1980s, helping to usher in new wave music into the popular American radio and becoming the first all-female band who wrote their own music and played their own instruments to ever achieve a number one album, Beauty and the Beat, which featured the hits We Got the Beat, Our Lips Are Sealed. The Go-Go's recorded two more studio albums on IRS Records in 1982, Vacation, which went gold, and Head Over Heels, from their 1984 album, Talk Show, made it to number 11. In 1984, Carlisle made a foray into acting in the movie Swing Shift, starring alongside Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, and then pursued a solo career. Let's go back to an early song, one of my favorites, from that first album. This is Lust to Love by Belinda Carlisle and the Go-Go's.
Runaways were an all-female teenage rock band that recorded and performed in the second half of the 1970s. The band released four studio albums and one live set during its run. Among their best-known songs is what we just heard, Cherry Bomb. The Runaways were signed to Mercury Records in 1976, and their debut album, The Runaways, was released shortly thereafter. The band toured the U.S. and played numerous sold-out rock shows. Their early shows included sharing the bill with such groups as Cheap Trick, Van Halen, Talking Heads, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. In the documentary Edge Play, a film about the Runaways directed by the former Runaway bassist Vicky Blue, revealed that each girl patterned herself after a different idol. Curie on David Bowie, Jet on Susie Quattro, Ford, a cross between Jeff Beck and Richie Blackmore, and West on Roger Taylor, and Fox on Gene Simmons. Out of this band came two standouts that would later make their mark in the music world. The first was born September 22nd of 1958 to James and Dorothy Larkin in Pennsylvania, out of a suburb outside of Philadelphia. She's the eldest of three children. Her father was an insurance salesman and her mother was a secretary. Her family was Protestant, attended church, and went to Sunday school, but were not strict in their religious beliefs. In 1967, her family moved to Rockville, Maryland, where she attended Randolph Junior High and Wheaton High School. She got her first guitar at age 13. She took some guitar lessons, but soon quit because the instructor kept trying to teach her folk songs. Her family then moved to West Covina, California in Los Angeles County, providing her the opportunity to pursue her musical interests. Shortly after the move, her parents divorced, and she changed her name to Joan Jett because she thought that it had more of a rock star sound than her birth name. She admitted in recent years that Jett was not actually her mother's maiden name, even though that's what she used to tell people. In Los Angeles, Jet's favorite night spot was Rodney Bingenheimer's English Disco, a venue that provided the glam rock style that she loved. In 1979, Jet was in England pursuing a solo career. She recorded three songs there with the Sex Pistols, Paul Cook, and Steve Jones, one of which was an early version of Arrow's I Love Rock and Roll. Later that year, she returned to Los Angeles where she began fulfilling an obligation of the Runaways to complete a film that was loosely based on the band's career entitled We're All Crazy Now. Three actresses stood in for the departed band members, including Rainbow Smith, who was also a rock drummer. It was here that she would meet songwriter and producer Kenny Laguna. They became friends and decided to work together. Jet relocated to Long Beach, New York, where Laguna was based. Jet and Laguna entered into the studios together with... Laguna at the helm, and Jet's self-titled solo debut was released on Areola Records in Europe on May 17, 1980, in the U.S. after the album was rejected by 23 major labels. Jet and Laguna released it independently on their own Blackheart Records label, which they started with Laguna's daughter's college savings. With Laguna's assistance, Jet formed the Blackhearts. Laguna recounted, she placed an ad in LA Weekly stating that she was looking for three good men. John Doe of the band X sat in on bass for the auditions held at SIR Studios in Los Angeles, California. The Blackheart lineup played several gigs at the Golden Bear in Huntington Beach, California, the Whiskey Go-Go in Hollywood, 
before they embarked on their first European tour, which consisted of an extensive tour of the Netherlands and a few key shows in England, including the Marquis in London. In spring of 1981, a concert at the Palladium in New York City proved to be her turning point. Described by music journalists as a career-defining performance by Jet, it helped solidify a strong New York following for Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. After a year of touring and recording, the Blackhearts recorded a new album entitled I Love Rock and Roll for the label. The first single from the album was the title track I Love Rock and Roll, which in the first half of 1982 was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for seven weeks in a row. It's Billboard's number 56 song of all time, and it has also been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2016. Jet has also been described as the queen of rock and roll. So let's hear now about Joan Jett and the Blackhearts and their bad reputation. second artist that came from the Runaways. She was born to a British father named Harry and an Italian mother named Isabella in London, England. 
When she was in the second grade, she moved with her family to the United States, eventually settling in Long Beach, California. Inspired by Richie Blackmore's work with Deep Purple, she began playing the guitar at the age of 11. Her vocal range is mezzo-soprano. In 1975, at age 16, she was recruited by Kim Foley to join the all-female rock band The Runaways. As we talked about the band's success earlier, let's talk about 1977 when internal conflicts were erupting within The Runaways. Vocalist and guitarist Joan Jett wanted the band to shift to a more Ramones-influenced punk rock sound, while Ford and the drummer Sandy West wanted to continue playing the hard rock-oriented songs the band had become known for. With neither faction willing to compromise, the band broke up in April of 1979. However, in 1988, Lita Ford signed with RCA Records, and she hired Sharon Osbourne as her manager and re-emerged with a more radio-friendly pop metal sound. She released her most commercially successful album, self-produced, Lita. The album featured several singles, including Kiss Me Deadly, Back to the Cave, Close My Eyes Forever, and Falling In and Out of Love, a song co-written by Nikki Six of Motley Crue. The ballad Close My Eyes Forever, a duet with Ozzy Osbourne, remains her most successful song, reaching number eight, on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Right now, let's listen to Kiss Me Deadly by Lita Ford. I went to a party last Saturday night. I did a good leg. I got in a fight. Uh-huh. It ain't no big thing. Late for my job and the traffic was bad. Had to borrow 10 bucks from my old man. Uh-huh. It ain't no big thing. I went to a party last Saturday night I told you that story, it'd be alright uh-huh. It ain't no big thing But I know what I like I know I like dancing with you And I know what you like 
And now it's time for Crandall's Crucial Cut. This week's Crucial Cut is an American heavy metal band formed in Los Angeles in 1981. The group has sold over 100 million albums worldwide, and the members of the band have often been noted for their hedonistic lifestyles and the androgynous persona that they have maintained. Following the hard rock and heavy metal origins of the band's first two albums in 1981 and 1983, the release of its third album in 1985 saw Motley Crue joining the first wave of glam metal. So join us next week on Behind the Orange Curtain as we explore the world of glam metal in the 80s. Closing out our night here is Motley Crue performing the title track from their debut album, Too Fast for Love. Until next week, good night and so long.
the Orange Curtain, a look at 80s music from Orange County, California. Music that came from here and music that came to here. Join me, your host, Doug Crandall, every Thursday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What do you want to do with your life?